So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dick. and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Jen. And I'm Monica. And we have some things to talk about. Now, if you've listened to our past uh, few episodes, you'll know that we acquired a script for Hutchinson for Murder One, and that we were promising we'd read it through while watching the episode so we could tell you all about the differences. And that is what we are going to do this episode, but first we have some other things to talk about. Yes, so... Just this last month in October, uh, I kind of had a mini ShareCon reunion. I was attending um, a convention for Podfickers, and it was really great. But aside from that, Megan came, and it was her first uh, time there, and it was really great to see her. And not only that, but she had um, managed to get a ride from Fresh Candy, who I unfortunately didn't get to see. But I did get to see MHE Priest, who she was staying with. So that was really fun to uh, see both of them and have like that little mini ShareCon experience. So it's like, you know, we might not actually be at ShareCon, but you can always find other Starsky and Hutch fans. That's really great. Like a little cross-section yep. of ShareCon. Yeah, it was it was pretty nice. And it's nice that there is that crossover of two small cons mm-hmm. uh, with common people. Fandom is, is a small little world. Yeah, surprisingly so. Like, you're always finding out, like, oh, wait, like, I was in that fandom and you were under that name. And, like, or I met a friend of yours or et cetera. Always, all the time. This is how I have awkward encounters at WizCon. I'm like, oh, you, you're friends with so-and-so. And they're like, yes. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. That was a bad way to introduce myself. <laughs> it might be initially awkward, but I think... You know, the common connection is sort of a, a a normal thing to bring up. And we're fans. We're all awkward. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Not only are fans often awkward, they're very generous and helpful. And one way that generosity and helpfulness was directed towards me was Ilana sent me a subtitle file for the French drama Sharif, which... Go. Oh, I was just going to say, in which we found out how wrong I was in my French translation. <laughs> a few things wrong. <laughs> I, you, you translated much more than I could. <laughs> yes, you gave us the gist. But it was cool to be able to watch the whole thing uh, and, and have the subtitles to understand. Yes, and uh, the subtitles are available for download now on the Zebra Docs. Not only can you download the subtitle file, and if you have a media player, uh, then you can play the subtitles and probably toggle them on or off. Um, VLC is a very good free media player that you can download. Or, if you want to stream the episode, I uploaded a version that has the subtitles um, embedded in the file. Uh, Hard subtitles, they call it. So you can't turn them on or off. But uh, you can stream it with the English subtitles now. 
And I think I cut you off from saying um, that if you weren't aware that this is the episode that Antonio Fargas was in, reprising his role as Huggy Bear, or, uh, as we might want to say, Huggy le bon tuyo. Was that, was that what it was? I believe so, <laughs> which we, we looked up and that means that he's a, a good informant or a, a snitch, Yeah, basically. like, it was like a good tip. Yes, <laughs> so yes. So Huggy of the good, like, the good tip Huggy. This is the problem with Google Translate. I put in the word tuyo and it was like pipe. And I was like... Huggy the good pipe? Oh, that's <laughs> weird. And like it could just be slang that has a completely different etymology, but if it was like pipeline, mm. that is like a source of information. It's a conduit. Yeah. That makes sense. So maybe I I'm just guessing. So what what now okay, since you guys this is the first time you saw it while understanding it, what did you guys think? I thought it was really charming. I uh, I'm probably not going to try to seek out more of Sharif because I do not have subtitles uh, accessible to me, but it seemed like a fun show. Um, and I loved how legitimately, uh, lovingly a tribute it was to Starsky and Hutch with him having the little Torino on his desk as a toy car to um, just lots of like little references like, oh, that reminds me of this from Starsky and Hutch. That reminds me of that from Starsky and Hutch. Lots of stuff with the names, even like really obscure stuff. What was the like especially obscure reference? I'm blanking. Uh, it, I, I don't know if this is what you're thinking of, but at one point, um, they discover that a oh, suspect uh, works as an escort and they want to find her to question her. And Huggy, the hallucination of Huggy, says to Sharif, Oh, that's a bad idea. You might fall in love with her and then she'll get killed. That's what happened on Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, obviously that was a very direct reference to the episode Jillian. And the fact that, like, they referenced individual episodes and not just the broader tropes that people tend to remember about Starsky and Hutch, but very specific characters and episodes... And there was there were a lot of names, and they mentioned someone's name sounding like Dobie, and they mentioned Dobie. someone's name sounding like Turkey. Turkey. Uh, <laughs> Turkey. I mean, they call but, him Turkett and Hardstarsky right. and Hutch, but, you know. But Turkett. I think there was another one that was a more obscure reference. There was. And, I know there was. I agree with oh, you. Prudholm. Prudholm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's not surface level at all. That's not, like, in a title, like, To Huggy Bear and the Turkey. Um, and I don't think anyone commented on no, it. No, no, it was just a character was named Prudholm. But I'm almost certain it, it was had, a reference yes, to Poop from Starsky and Hutch. So clearly the writers had a lot of real love for it and got Antonio Fargas to be part of this. And he seemed to be having a ball. I really wonder what it was like for him to essentially just be lip syncing uh, for most of his time on set since... The premise was that Starsky and Hutch was dubbed in French. Uh, so when Antonio Fargas first shows up, he says like two lines in English and Sharif says Starsky and Hutch was dubbed here. And then it switches to Antonio Fargas clearly continuing to lip sync English, but uh, a French voice coming out of him. Yeah, I really wanted to know if it was the same dub actor, you know, because that would have been an extra layer of cool, but I understand that might have been hard to do. Yes, I mean, I have no (laughs) idea who the dub actor was or, you know, what that person is doing now if they're still alive. So Mm -hmm. um, it was still really neat. Um, I wonder how Antonio Fargas felt putting on those ridiculous clothes again in 2018 or whatever when this was fabulous. (laughs) several outfit changes too like they 
they could have kept him in one costume the whole time. He was a hallucination, but no, like they really just were really conscientious of trying to make him as 70s Huggy as possible. I mean, Huggy has so many great outfits in uh, throughout the course of the show, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad they were like, yeah, let's let's dress him up. It's true. And the episode itself was fun. Um, I did predict the killer as soon as he appeared on the screen. But, you know, if you've seen any procedurals, you could probably also do that. The fun is in how the characters interact, not in the specific mysteries. And it seemed like a fun cast of characters. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's, like, specific... It was specific to this episode, or if, like, that show is normally, like, that referential and, like, fun and meta. Because it was quite meta at times, I felt, so I don't know. Yes, it, Huggy's... Huggy broke the fourth wall a few times. He was like... Mm-hmm. Oh, the last several episodes, you've been having a breakdown. <laughs> and so I, I've always been a fan of breaking the fourth wall type humor. So I thought that was really funny. But I do also wonder, uh, you know, if this isn't a consistent thing for the show, what the French audiences must have thought when this episode happened. Um, it might have seemed pretty wild. <laughs> it might have. But a lot of long running shows do get pretty strange episodes sprinkled throughout them. X-Files had some very weird humorous episodes. CSI has had some really strange episodes. And I think this was season six. So. Five. Okay. Season five. five. Oh, okay. I know, because I have the whole season. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I watched a single other episode. I could, but I haven't. Also, like, I mean, to a degree, I don't think it's like that. Like, maybe the level of, like, sort of out there that it did, like, with the breaking of the fourth wall. But, like, you know, there's the thing where, like, the girl, the woman that Sharif is hung up on, like, you know, he has a photo of her dressed as Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. So, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it clearly does have that, like, fun nostalgia running through it for the characters. Like, that's definitely, like, a part of the characters. Also, it was interesting how, like, every single character in there, like, understood the Cersei Nudge references <laughs> and, like, made them as well. Like, even the woman who looks significantly younger... Like, I yeah, mean, maybe she that was, was just her makeup. She but. was rolling her eyes at some of the Starsky and Hutch references, but then to tease them, she lifts up uh, the little toy Torino and says, like, Sharif to Zebra 3. So, like, she obviously knows some stuff about Starsky and Hutch. Or he's just been, like, babbling about his fandom to her in the squad car constantly. <laughs> that is also possible. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, this did feel like it was very much connected to this character was supposed to be born in 1970 and that he saw Starsky and Hutch when he was eight and it made a big impact. So it's very much like a, a Gen X uh, response to Starsky and Hutch being a kid uh, when it was airing. But also I know that um, in Europeans can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I get the impression that the show was even bigger um, in the UK and some European countries than it was popularity-wise in the US. That in the US, there was so much TV at that time that at this point, it all kind of blends together and people get them confused with the Dukes of Hazard half the time. Um, so I, I feel like they might be even more iconic um, overseas. Yeah, I, I feel like that is true. We also saw... Another thing that Antonio Fergus was in. Yes, Ilana also sent me the file for Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Dun, dun, dun. Which is a show that like I maybe heard of, but had no concept of what it was about. Uh, it turns out it's about a reporter in Chicago who keeps getting pulled into supernatural cases. As and, you do. As you do. 
and Antonio Fargas guest starred in the second episode. Uh, and he was only unfortunately in like one main scene. He might have been slightly in a second scene, but it was basically one or two scenes. Yeah, two scenes. And he seemed to be having fun. He was playing like the boss of a gang that uh, sort of had unwittingly become embroiled in this supernatural stuff. It was a lot goofier of a show than I expected. <laughs> um, but kind of fun. We were reading the episode summaries for the rest of the series because um, we're we're young and we we did not know about this show. Apparently it only lasted one season, but is enough of a cult classic that apparently it was, according to Chris Carter, 30% of the inspiration for the X-Files. Um, and there is definitely an episode that involves a werewolf singles cruise, and I kind of want to watch that. <laughs> I, I kind of want to watch it too, but I will point out, it's a singles cruise that has a werewolf on it, not a singles cruise for werewolves. As far as you know. As far as I know. I, I would be delighted by the second. Like, if it were... <laughs> A werewolf singles cruise. I would love that, but I think it's just a singles cruise that happens to have a werewolf on it. I mean, werewolves need love, too. They do. They do. (laughs) Don't reject someone just because they're a werewolf. I used to read the Bailey School Kids books when I was a little kid, and those were like, my teacher is a vampire, my camp counselor is a werewolf, and like it would always be these group of elementary school kids wondering, like, is this adult that we know secretly a supernatural creature? And it was always left kind of open-ended by the end of the book. (laughs) Uh, And that kind of feels like what Kolchak's life is. He's just leading a normal life as a reporter, but then is this person a werewolf? I don't know. There definitely were similarities to the X-Files, and the X-Files usually made it explicit that there was strange stuff going on, but it always could be explained away to most of the characters. And yeah, it did have that similarity. Not season one of X-Files. I gave up like five episodes in because I was just like, I hate this open-endedness because it very much was like, it could have just been this. And like, they're very strongly, like, I know in later in the series, they much more firmly were like, yeah, this is weird stuff. Like, because it happened. But the those first episodes, I don't know. So I couldn't get through it. Like, they can't decide if it's Buffy or Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Like, is it a werewolf or is it old Mr. Gardner? (laughs) That Uh, is an early X-Files episode, isn't it? Like, there's a guy that they think is a werewolf, but they think, but he just has, like, a hair problem. But it might be a werewolf. I don't know. I think that's an early X-Files episode. I don't remember. I will admit even though I'm a hard, I was a hardcore X-Files fan as a youth, I have not actually seen every single episode. That's fine. I was watching it in syndication, and, like, when I first started watching it, the DVDs cost, like, $120 per season. Oh, my God. I know. I remember looking at them in, like, Sam Goody, just thinking, I'll never have enough money. And you, some of the episodes were on VHS, but it would just be, like, two random episodes on a VHS tape. And the library had a couple. So I saw, like, I'd watch those over and over and I'd record them onto my own VHS tapes, but it was basically whatever the syndicators wanted to give us was what I saw. <laughs> it was uh, one of the early um, trailblazers in releasing TV directly afterward to the home video market. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that they would have been really expensive because they had not figured out what that market plan looked like yet. Yeah, I remember like looking for the TV on DVD section at 
like Sam Goody or um, what's that like Coast something Suncoast Suncoast yeah yeah uh, Suncoast and like yes there'd be very few TV shows that had anything on DVD and X Files would have these giant box sets uh, and super expensive. This is related to nothing, but my local record store was also a chain, but it was called Coconuts. Oh. I don't know if that was out here. And Coconuts gift cards were coins. They were a giant metal coin, which was really cool to have, like, in your wallet or to give as a gift, but completely impractical as a gift card because you can't divide it. It's (laughs) not scannable. You have to use the entire thing at once or, like, in some breakable denomination because otherwise like it can't be divided or they'd have to give you cash to like cash out the rest of it. It was a very impractical way of doing gift cards. And I'm not surprised that they went under even earlier than most of the (laughs) music stores. Harsh. You could do something similar these days. I mean, you could still have it like be like a real coin, but like have a barcode on it. You could, you could, you could not do that in the late (laughs) nineties. All right. All right, so. back to the topic at hand. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that was a delightful uh, detour. But um, to bring us back to Starsky and Hutch, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a conversation that kind of led to some detective work and then a discovery, which I always think is really cool when fandom does some detective work and comes finds out things. Can I just say? Yes. Monica hasn't told us about this yet, so this is like a mystery, and I'm really excited to hear. Well, don't get too excited. <laughs> I just think it's a fun story. And it started with a post by uh, Nancy, the co-mod of the Facebook group, and she posted a poem about Hutch's star and moon necklace, or inspired by Hutch's star and moon necklace, and she included a screen cap of the star and moon necklace. And um, so people were delighted by the poem and also talking about the necklace because it's a fan favorite. Um, Apparently Hutch starts wearing it in season three, but wears it a lot. It's one of his most worn necklaces. Um, And it's just so whimsical. I mean, I can understand why fans like mention it in fic, uh, kind of come up with headcanons for who gave it to him, why he wears it. It looks like something I would have bought at Claire's in, like, 1997. <laughs> yeah, how would you describe that necklace? Like, what materials do you think it's made out of? Uh, I would say probably... I mean, given that it's the 70s, it's probably just, like, nickel-plated. Um, it could be stainless steel or silver. It might be silver. There's a very thin chain, uh, and the star appears to be part of the chain, whereas the, the moon is hanging down in the middle. But possibly... In also a fixed position, so they're always that far apart from each other. But it, it, it does feel like it, I would see it on the rack of, like, preteen jewelry. Celestial themes are great. I love star and moon type necklaces. Me too. Did you want to give a shot on or do you concur with Jen's conclusions? I would have nowhere to start, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought very similarly to you. I figured it was probably a silverish metal on a very thin chain. And people have searched for that. There are obviously lots of star and moon necklaces out there, so Googling star and moon necklace will get you a huge variety of products that often look similar, but are often different. Nothing exact apparently had people in this little chunk of the fandom found. Now, obviously, people out there 
have been fans of Starsky and Hutch since it aired, and maybe there are a lot of people out there who didn't know exactly where this necklace came from. Martha, especially, was talking about wanting to make replicas out of polymer clay, and Rita, uh, on the Facebook group, who is Mortmir, she does fan art, she also has made a polymer replica, and... Mortmir was looking at it closely. She actually was the one who made that screen cap. And she'd made several other screen caps because Mortmir has a WordPress where she talks about the props and the clothing and the locations of Starsky and Hutch. It's shinventory.wordpress.com. And there's a little blog post for just about every piece of jewelry that they wear. And She has found a lot of details about these things. So anyway, she, in going over this again, since she'd already made a post about this necklace, thought to herself, maybe that's not metal. Maybe it's bone. Oh! Or plastic, but it turns out bone is correct. And in adding bone to the search term for Hutch's necklace, she found a seller that made something very similar to it. Like, in pictures, it looked... Almost exact. Like, the positions might have been slightly different. The sizes might have been slightly different. And then she realized that that seller was from Pasadena and had been operating for over 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! that seller still makes them. And still sells them. So here is a star and moon necklace made by the same person who made (laughs) Hutch's star and moon necklace. Uh, I went and bought one. And, oh my god. Oh my god. And it's not actually on a chain, it's on a very thin cord, which if you look at that picture you can actually tell, yeah, it's a cord. The star um is affixed with some thin knots on the cord. The moon can slide. My moon doesn't want to slide, but that actually explains why in different pictures the moon looks a lot closer or further away from the star. Um his was probably a bit smaller. Um and also, and this is kind of a sad note, it is made from bone now. In the 70s, it was not made from bone. It was made from ivory. Oh! <laughs> but, but it's now bone and has been bone for quite some time. Wh- wh- whose bones? Uh, cow bones from leftover, like, beef okay. industry. <laughs> what did I say? Whose instead of which? <laughs> As if I think that this lovely jewelry maker from Pasadena is murdering people. <laughs> yeah, that's a story. <laughs> Beef bones, Jen. (laughs) Okay. Um, So there are still plans, I think, from both Martha and Mortmere to make polymer clay replicas. But it's cool to know that this person is still out there making these necklaces. There are different stories for where David Soul might have gotten that necklace. Almost all the jewelry that David Soul and PMG wore was basically just their own jewelry. And I saw on one website that someone thought Aaron Spelling had given these necklaces at a party. But someone else, uh, perhaps Mortmere, was speculating that a lot of actors and actresses would go to the Renaissance Fair near L.A. And the seller sold at the Renaissance Fair, so it's possible it was bought at a run fair. Oh my gosh, that is so cool! Oh my gosh! That's really awesome. Uh Oh my god, I just can't, like, oh, like, this is, 
again and again, Monica, you just like pull out these really cool, awesome things, and it's I oh, I'm like my Jen just put it on Monica, and it's just oh, it looks great, and like it doesn't look like his is all that much smaller. Like I mean, you know, I think David these so de- might have a bigger, slightly bigger frame, and uh-huh. are the details of the face on the moon in his? Yes, like the details might be somewhat different, but his moon does have a face. Okay, it, the, I never noticed that. If it becomes apparent in some of the other screen caps, uh, this screen cap is a very good screen cap. It's hard to get a really clear picture of it, but this yeah, looks it is. like Mac tonight, the short-lived Nick- <laughs> McDonald's mascot. What? I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find a picture of Mac tonight while you guys continue talking. I'm. I'm really okay. I am so impressed. One that like this this jewelry maker still is in business and like making jewelry, um, still makes this design. You know, even if it might be slightly tweaked. Like you know, I mean, not only material but like the design itself might be slightly tweaked. Like, and and that they're online and it's just like. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is impressive. And I should at this point shout out who the artist is. And it is Christopher Miller, and his website is called Christopher Miller Creations. It's the Face, Moon, and Star. You can get it in either Bone or... Uh, there's some other material you can get it in... Well, anyway, if you Google Christopher Miller Creations, you'll find the website. I do remember that McDonald's character. It's Back creepy. Tonight. He's very creepy. <laughs> this is less creepy. Your moon does not have sunglasses. That helps. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, and then I know this is usually if we do fic racks, we do them at the end. But this is just a very quick thing. In looking around for other information about the star and moon necklace, I did come across a short fic that is about Starsky giving Hutch the necklace. And it's just really cute, so I wanted to wreck that really quick. It's called Moon and Stars, and it is by Allie. Well, I'll have the link up on the website. And I will say this is a gen fic. So it is a story about Starsky, you know, just giving his bro jewelry for his birthday. <laughs> and Aww. honestly, I kind of like that. I mean, I read some, I read more Slash than Jen. But when it's a story about a guy giving another guy jewelry, the fact that it's Jen, it's like, oh yeah, I feel like Starsky would. And also, it's just great. It's like got a grumpy hutch who doesn't want to celebrate his birthday. And Starsky is like needling him and being like, I'm going to get you a big birthday present. I know, I'm going to get you jewelry. And it's supposed to be a joke, but then Starsky actually looks at jewelry and then it's like, well, I want to give him something nice. (laughs) I love him. You know, I want to give him something he'll actually like. So um, it's just a really cute story. Wow, that's... That... This whole thing... Like, okay, guys, you don't understand, like, that... I have all, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, I have, like, the greatest, you know, respect for podcast hosts. There is no other greater person to have a podcast with than Monica, because <laughs> she keeps pulling out these, these thing after thing, the, 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 the poster, the, the painting by Paul Michael Glazer, the necklace, having the script, the script. that we're about <laughs> to talk about. Like, she will just be like, by the way, and then whips out something amazing, like... 
Well, I'm Thank embar- you for these experiences. You're welcome, but I'm embarrassed, so I'll probably cut this whole thing. <laughs> well, I still got to say it. <laughs> Monica is quietly a wizard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was hard, because I got this several weeks ago, and it was hard to, like, keep a lid on it for Did several weeks. Did I see weeks. it come into the mail? Yes. It Did was it? the package with all the stamps. Oh! <laughs> And I remember being like, why does this happen to so many steps? It's just coming from California. Yep. <laughs> All um, right. I think I think on to our, our um, feature presentation. Yes. Okay, so for this, we watched Hutchinson Murder 1. Do, 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 do. Did you stop recording? No. Oh, okay. That would be bad. Yeah, that, that would, would be, be bad. I will say first and foremost that this is the episode with the chinchilla. I've in the past loved referencing the chinchilla and I have often referenced it incorrectly. Huggy Bear has nothing to do with the chinchilla. <laughs> and I remember. feel like I need to apologize for that. Because <laughs> for some reason in my brain, this was combined with like the mouse racing or something. The pet rock. And, and the, pet the pet rocks. And so it just seemed like another one of like, Huggies get rich quick schemes that influenced uh, Starsky, but we have no idea who this person who gave Starsky this not a chinchilla uh, was. And I am sorry for maligning Huggy Bear's name because he has many schemes, but he would know the difference between a guinea pig and a chinchilla, I think. I think he would. He did briefly run a pet store. So let's talk about this. All right. So first of all, let's just note that the story was by Jackson Gillis and the teleplay was by Robert E. Swanson. And uh, some of the um, stage direction and descriptions are very fun. So uh, I think Swanson was having some fun with this. Especially with minor characters. He really wanted to sell us on these minor characters. (laughs) I think maybe, like, the major characters have already been defined, so... You've got someone who is making their mark on the show, and so they really want this side character to be what's in their head to come out onto the screen. It usually didn't. Most of these descriptions actually had very little to do with the minor characters that finally appeared on the screen, but they used some really fun, pulpy sort of film noir language. Even the description of Vanessa, which you'd think would be pretty clear, they describe her as a businesswoman, and then they're, the costume people are like, let's put her in this giant fur coat. Like a- I mean, maybe that was the sign of a successful executive. Who knows? I don't know. It's a fur coat <laughs> over like a red sweater and jodhpurs and high boots, and she looks like a sexy Santa Claus. To be fair, it said she's dressed like a successful exec, but then it also said she wouldn't be out of place on a Vogue cover. Yeah. And like, although her outfit doesn't seem, doesn't scream successful exec to me, it does scream Vogue cover to me. That's so. fair. That's fair. I mean, I'll give you that. Vogue cover is, presumably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, overall, this um, script and what actually uh, they filmed were pretty similar. Um, I mean, of course, they were like the normal, like, um, line improvisations where they switched it up a little bit, but um, for the most part, it was fairly faithful. Um, we, there were two scenes that we are going to read to you at some point during this. Um, but yeah, it was it's a much more straightforward watch than the Jillian one had been. I would agree. I think um, the two scenes that we will perform for you that were cut entirely. It makes sense that they were cut. They basically were just reiterating things that had already happened. And it was imparting that knowledge to new characters, but I can see why they'd cut it for time. 
but for the most part, the changes were small. Yeah, it it really was not that different, and I I think a lot of times scripts are overwritten to potentially compensate for things not coming across in direction and acting, but I think that in a lot of these cases, silence and, you know, the directorial choices and the actors made up for the lack of exposition. Um, So it's cool to have these scenes, and it's cool to be able to read them to you, but um, they were probably the right call to cut. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we should start at the beginning and kind of work our way through the notes, but I do kind of want to say at the very top, when Starsky enters Hutch's apartment after Vanessa's been killed, that touch he does along Hutch's shoulders as he walks past Hutch to look at the body was not in the script. But it was such a good choice. I, you, I've used that touch in um, one of my vids. Lots of vidders use that touch. It's just like quintessential Starsky and Hutch's, like, the way they comfort each other, the way they, like, touch each other just to kind of, like, say without words, I'm right here. Um, it it adds a lot to that moment. I mean, I, you know, the, that's because, like, Paul and David knew that Starsky and Hutch loved each other. They needed to, like, you know, be there for each other. So, you know, the script writers didn't always recognize that. But sometimes... Kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. There's an extra line or two right at the beginning, if we're starting at the beginning, um, where Starsky is sharing his plans for his chinchilla raising. Um, and this is not in the actual episode, but he says, I'm telling you, Hutch, they breed like rabbits. Big litters. Geometric return on your investment. In a year or so? There'll be hundreds of them worth maybe four or five bills apiece, and we can forget about receipts. So, basically, he is inviting uh, Hutch to retire with him and raise chinchillas, uh, which sounds fabulous. And later in the episode, he talks about them running away to Rio after selling the diamond that uh, Vanessa had. So, there are two times in this episode, one of which made it into the actual filmed episode and one of which didn't, in which Starsky is making plans for running away with Hutch. And I think that's beautiful. They really just think of themselves as a unit. And that's one of the best things about the show. There's a couple of cool lines. Um, for instance, uh, there's some early exposition about Vanessa and Hutch between Dobie and Starsky to clarify who she is. And Dobie basically says, oh, I forgot he was married. And Starsky replies, I think he'd rather forget, too. Uh, so, once again, exposition that we don't really need, but certainly sets a tone. And, and, and definitely, like, you know, the first call back to this. <laughs> you know, everyone else forgot that Hutch used to be married, too. <laughs> it is sort of meta. The, the entire show forgot that Hutch was married. Like, this is season three. (laughs) (laughs) This hasn't been mentioned since the pilot. (laughs) One thing I rather like about watching these TV show episodes so closely for these podcast episodes is that we catch lines that we didn't necessarily the first time through. And when uh, Hutch is at the pits right before Vanessa shows up, Huggy refers to him as one tight closet. (laughs) You are one tight closet. Yeah. Yeah, Hutch is. <laughs> he is indeed. <laughs> Huggy is correct, as always. 
I mean, yeah. Can I just say an, uh, another time Facebook did detective work? Unfortunately, it didn't actually, like, solve the case, but someone found out that a college student had written a paper back in the late 70s or early 80s about Starsky and Hutch. It was specifically about the, like, homoeroticism of Starsky and Hutch, and it was called something like Hutch Honey Come Out of the Closet. <laughs> <laughs> And people on the group even called the university to see if they still had a copy of it because it was listed in in some some like uh like thesis archive or something. Yes, exactly. Uh, and unfortunately, the university said that they had had a copy at some point, but it got lost, and that they actually do get calls every now and then looking for it. <laughs> I'm so sorry about blowing out the mic there. Lots of people try to do fan studies papers looking for those early things and not being able to track them down. Yep. There's uh, multiple times in the script, and I I think it only makes it once into the actual episode, where Vanessa refers to Hutch as tender, um, which I think is interesting that this is a description. Um, And it, it seems interesting because she... We know that she left him because she didn't think there was any future in dating a cop. And so the fact that she simultaneously thinks that he's in too, basically, rough and tumble, no future job, but also is too soft, essentially, and tender, um, is an interesting juxtaposition. Too tender? I don't, I mean, she never said that. That's true. I mean, Maybe she, she called him a vulnerable, tender man in the script. That didn't make it, but, um, and she does refer to him just once as tender, but, I don't, I mean, that doesn't mean that he's too tender. I think she liked his tenderness, because I think at one point she says, like, what happened to the tender man I married, or something mm-hmm. like yes, that. Yes, that's, that's the that's reference fair. that makes um, it in. Of course, perhaps she liked his tenderness if it meant he was, you know, malleable, or, or more, uh, open to... A pushover. Yeah, a pushover. <laughs> I mean, you could interpret it that way, but I certainly don't. I know you You love Vanessa and uh, really ship Hutch and Vanessa. I mean, I think, I think, I think they were two young people in love who were not right for each other, who were not ready to commit to that, you know, to, to what that meant to, you know, be a partnership, you know, and they were not the right people for each other, but I believe that they loved each other. You know, I have read a lot of fic that interprets it many different ways, and I I am happy to read interpretations where they were in love and it just didn't work out, like you said. Um, although I've definitely read fic of other stripes, so <laughs> all I know is she definitely dumped him. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. No, no question there. <laughs> he was a vulnerable, tender man. I I mean, obviously you can interpret it any way you want. You can write fic any way you want. I am not here to say that you can't. Um, Although, you know, I'm only going to read the ones that don't, like, absolutely villainize her, you know. Uh, Because I had enough of that in the early 2000s. I was like, yeah, no, I'm done with this fandom uh, thing of villainizing. fandom in general? Yes. Not Not Starsky and Hutch in general. I was not in Starsky and Hutch then. No. Fandoms... Phantom in general's tendency to villainize any female character. But in this script, uh, I do want to point to some things uh, that did speak to them having a very loving relationship at one point. Um, let me see if I can find them. So just hold on a second. I just want to find one of the... One of the... 
Well, those are the lines we... Okay, never mind. I'm Actually, I take this back. I'm not going to say those because those are in the scenes we read. Excellent. Nice. Uh, would you like to take a stab at reading perhaps one of the uh, amazing descriptions of the bad guys? Yes. Okay. Okay, so this is about our uh, bad guys. Boyle is a man in his 30s going on 90. His skin is too white and just hangs. His eyes are tired. He has more death than life in him. He is most dangerous because he does not care, dot, 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 about anything. (laughs) Hardwell is the opposite. A ferret of a man in his late 20s with hyper energy, as if he's on speed. (laughs) And then was it just like a page later where he's putting bullets in the gun? Oh, yes. Uh, He's putting the gun, like, with relish. I remember it says... With relish. (laughs) These were not the men we saw on screen. (laughs) No. Not remotely. Like, they weren't even the right ages. Because one of them looked much older than his 30s. So, yeah. Not not quite. Although maybe that's the 30s going on 90 is. Maybe they were like, we can cast anyone between 30 and 90. Could be. Could be. At another point, um, Boyle is described as having the eyes of an emotionless emotionless cobra. Like, definitely the writer here had a lot of fun (laughs) with the side characters. Speaking of side characters, let's go to Simonetti and Dryden's descriptions. Internal affairs detectives are interviewing Hutch. Simonetti, a man dedicated to making captain before he's 40. He is five or six years to go. He is slick and insistent. Charming and ruthless. All of the ingredients for, and I don't know what this word is, it's P-L-S-T-I-C, success. With him is Dryden. Now this is the best. A black man in his mid-forties who has one year and six months and three days before he hits his 20-year retirement plan. So, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like... (laughs) And I feel like that description of Dryden actually gives us a better indication of his personality. And you kind of see that. Like, he's the one who has to deal the most directly with Starsky and Hutch. And the whole handcuffing scene, he's just a thousand percent done with them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he's within his rights. Yeah. Like, the way that Starsky and Hutch behave in this episode is real weird. Uh, And something they should get reprimanded for. Like, Dryden's just doing his job. Mm-hmm. But the choices that the Simonetti actor makes are so weird. Actually, actually thinking about it, it does make sense with this description. Like, I can feel him trying to do both, like, charming and ruthless. Like, I can feel him trying to be that smooth. You know, successfully? Is he smooth? Eh, not really. <laughs> but I can see him going for it. Like, the way he talks, he talks like through this. his teeth. It's like, it very much feels like he read this description and he was very like, okay, this is my character, this is what I'm gonna do. Um... I mean, I think the character description is, like, bad. <laughs> you know, because it's all these contradictions, you know? And it's like he's not given really anything to work with that. So, I mean, I I don't blame the actor on sure. it. You know, it's... But I can definitely see, like, you know, him looking through the script and being like, okay, this is my character, this is what I'm going to do. And, like, doing the character work. That's but, fair. um, yeah, it, it gets sort of a an odd result. <laughs> One thing backing up a little bit, 
when Vanessa and Hutch first go to Hutch's apartment and they're talking about his morning routine. Vanessa is recalling how he wakes up, you know, splashes water on his face, goes out for a mile jog. Um, and Hutch is like, well, it's a little different now. Now I meditate for 20 minutes first or something like that. Yes, I don't that's know pretty wanna... much exactly the line. Um, here, I have it right here. I now wake up at 5 to 6 and meditate for 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. I love that Hutch canonically was going to meditate in this script because, yeah, he's the one who, like, is kind of into New Age fads and... I mean, not that meditation has to be a new age fad. Honestly, I think meditation can be a very powerful and useful tool. And Hutch probably needs to meditate. <laughs> well, I, the follow-up. Yes, yes. Let's let's not forget. Then Vanessa asks, does it help? And Hutch says, if I let it. <laughs> There's an exclamation point in the yes. script. Yes, I, I wanted to try to convey that. <laughs> it's just great. That's I'm, such a strange answer to does it help. Like, especially with an explanation point, because I'm trying to picture Hutch saying that. And, like, if he says, if I let it with an explanation point, it sounds kind of, like, over the top. This is personal, so I don't want to talk about it. So I'm going to give you a cheery fake smile and, like, brush it off. Brush your question off. I don't know how else it could be played. It's a little flirty, too. Like, you know, like, playful banter. Yeah, like, he's laughing at himself, like, you know me, like, my brain is racing a mile a minute, so he's like, if I let it! Yeah, like, I guess I could see that. But it's it's a cool uh, piece of data, and it seems correct. Mm-hmm. Also, the angel statue is name-checked in the script. At one point, it talks about Vanessa looking at it. Mm-hmm. She's on the phone. Yes, thank you. Looking at the loving angel statue on table, and then at picture of Hutch. Is there a picture of Hutch that she looks at? Not that we saw in that okay. episode. But definitely the angel statue is there. It's a weird statue. It's <laughs> weird that Hutch has it. It does not match anything else in his apartment. But, you know, to each his own. <laughs> That's very much like... Hey, there's that weird prop that's never been done anything with. I'm going to put in the script. So would you guys like to read the two scenes that we decided to read aloud? Yes, let's do this. Okay, so um, if you just want to, like, say, like, set the scene for us, Monica. All right, I am going to be the narrator in this first scene. And uh, the Torino has just roared up and Starsky came running out and into the house. Hutch is hunched over in a chair. His face reflects her death. Starsky sees this, goes to Vanessa on the floor, covers her. He stands and walks over to the kitchen, opens cabinets and takes out brandy and pours a shot for Hutch. Walks over and gives it to him. Hutch is immobile. Uh, And Hutch drinks the alcohol and grimaces. You call the coroner's wagon? The crime lab? Yeah. What happened? Vanessa's dead. I can see that. What happened, Hutch? I was out on the beach, taking my run. She stayed over last night, and I came back, and... Hutch can't go on. Runs his scratched hand through his hair. What happened to your hand? Huh? Uh, just, uh, nothing. Tell me what happened. It started lousy, Starsk. But this morning, when I went out for my run, 
we were friends again. I mean, it felt good. Vanessa and I, we were connecting again. Like when we first met. Sound of siren. Here's the coroner's wagon. I think maybe it'll be easier if we can get out of here while they check out her body. End scene. Yes. See? See? This is okay. Uh, it felt good. Vanessa and I, we were friends again. We were connected again, like when we first met. See? They were totes, like, you know, they liked each other. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, I guess we are together. It's like, they had a connection. It was not a connection that was meant to last, but it was still a connection. Yeah, that's a nice addition. And there's an earlier cut line about how they can still be friends, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely is something that I think, unfortunately, didn't make it into the episode itself, but that the writer of the episode wanted to get across. And I want to specify that that cut line, it's Hutch who says, like, you know, we can be friends. Because Vanessa asks, like, he asks Vanessa, like, why didn't you tell me right away? Which, I mean, she didn't tell him because it was a lie that she's going to the hospital. But um, she says, you know, like, how I don't know how to act around my ex-husband. And he says, well, we can be friends still. So, yeah, it's it's nice. It's very different from the sort of like cold to the end Vanessa that I think some people prefer. And if they want that, that's cool. But I, I like this softer interpretation, too. You know what? It, it very much like makes you think of. It's like, you know, you find that old pair of jeans in the bottom of your closet. and You're like, oh, I love these jeans. And you put them on. And at first they're real comfy. And then you remember why. You don't wear these jeans anymore because you find the hole in the crotch and they're kind of itchy in places now because of that. And, you know, it's it's like that, you know? Right. It's like you loved yeah. those jeans. You went places with those jeans. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. you're like, wait, no. Not I anymore. can't do it. I can't. Yeah. Yes. I like that metaphor. <laughs> I do nice. too. I do too. So shall we read our other scene? Yes. And for this one, I'm going to be Hutch and Rachel will be the narrator. And I will remain Starsky. Okay, there's a little bit of narration on the previous page that I'm going to start with. Hutch sitting there, holding a kerchief Vanessa wore the other night. Smells it. Tears. Gets up and pours a brandy, takes a slug. Grimaces. Throws the glass into the sink. It shatters. There's a knock at the door. Hutch, it's me. Hutch just looks up toward the door. A beat. Door opens. Starsky enters. Sees Hutch sitting there morosely. How you doing? Hutch shrugs. Yeah. Lousy. Look, partner. I know it has to be the worst, but if we're going to find out who did her, I need all of you. Yeah, sure. Make like there's a movie in your head that started with the phone call with from Vanessa. Rerun the movie, Hutch. Every frame. Every sound. Tell it to me like I'm the audience. Maybe I'll hear something that will open the door. Okay. Sure. She called and said she wanted to see me. What did she say exactly? Hutch, closing eyes, leaning backwards. She said, Oh yeah, Hutchinson here. You sound so formal. I knew it was her voice, but I didn't want to admit it. Her voice always knocked me out. Hutch is on the verge of tears. Starsky, like a gentle, loving psychiatrist. Yeah, go on, babe. What happened then? Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) So, like, gentle, loving psychiatrist. (laughs) It's our new band name. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great line. 
calls 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 Hutch babe uh says I need all of you. Yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> and like I can see why they cut this cuz it is kind of reiterating the information and clear I think they probably f- I don't know if they filmed it or not, but like the direct follow-up to the scene is still in here where they then burst into Dobie's office to say, "Oh yes, through Starsky's, you know, picture it like a movie in your head technique. Hutch has remembered that she was talking about a business deal. So clearly, like, the spirit of the scene is still in the episode. But yes, this this would have given some nice, uh... Tenderness. S- tenderness. It would have been <laughs> a lot of nice feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing that this, like, I mean, this is, this is my second favorite episode of this series. Big surprise there. Um, I really like the ones where Hutch girlfriends die. That's <laughs> like oh, no. I don't I don't intend for but that. But you love I them. Love, I love them fiercely. I love Jillian. I love Vanessa. But anyway, but yeah, the the thing about this episode that which is the reason this makes number two and not number one is that it doesn't have that tenderness that Jillian has. You know, we have that connection between Starsky and Hutch. You know, when he discovers Jillian's body. No, we don't really get here. Like, we don't mm-hmm. get them connecting very much um, I mean, in this that, episode. I mean, that is why I like that they put in Starsky kind of stroking Hutch's shoulder as he comes in. And even pouring the brandy and kind of that implicit pull-yourself-together-man-we've-got-work-to-do type thing. Like, it's quieter, it's not as explicit, but it's still there. But you're Mm -hmm. right, Jillian does have a lot more of the explicit tenderness. And this episode wraps up kind of abruptly. Once they've cleared Hutch's name, it's like everything goes away. They have the funny tag about the chinchilla, and, like, Dobie's laughing at them, which they totally deserve. Dobie deserves a laugh because they have put him through hell. Uh, But also, like, Hutch is laughing hysterically. Like, everything seems okay again. And I realize episodic show, things are not going to carry over, but I never feel like we get that moment of catharsis of Hutch coming to terms with Vanessa's death because it immediately turns into him trying to clear his name. Um, Yeah, whereas this cut scene offers sort of a bridge where he's still broken up, still very upset, but they're they're having to put in the legwork to clear his name. It might have felt a little more organic to keep something like this in. It also clarifies that during the early phone call, Hutch did know it was Vanessa and was faking not knowing. Because I don't think that's clear in the actual phone call. Um, It's kind of played as if he legitimately doesn't recognize her voice, and that's weird. So this is nice clarification, even if it played out oddly in the show. Mm -hmm. One other stage direction regarding Hutch's feelings about Vanessa and like the way he acts around her, um, I wanted to read out. Okay, so this is at the end of... um, they were at the bar and at the pits and Vanessa and like Hutch leaves, storms out and Vanessa follows him. And then this is what we get. Uh, Vanessa tells him about going to the hospital. And then this says this breaks through his protective anger. So like, I really like that, you mm-hmm. know, like very much showing like he's like, it's, He's angry partially to, like, you know, to, to protect himself, you know? Like, because he doesn't want, he, you know. Yeah. It's, still it's a shield. Is, yeah, it's still very raw in many ways. Absolutely. 
Well, I think that's all we've got to say about Hutchinson Murder 1 and the mm-hmm. script. I will say I expected my uh, I expected to talk a lot more about Vanessa than I did, actually, um, which you might be thankful for, but... Uh... <laughs> There's always room for more Vanessa talk in the future. <laughs> for now, we'll close out, uh, and if you'd like to talk to us about anything we discussed, you can email us at meandtheand3 at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at meev3. And you can check out our website and leave comments there at meandtheand3.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Chinchilla. I don't know. What? It's 10? Yes. What the fuck? I know. I'm sorry. It's my fault. No, it's fine. I How was like, it 10? Look at the clock the time. and like, what is happening? I stole a couple hours. It's okay. I'm fine <laughs> with it. I'm still looking forward to that pumpkin. Yes, I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. We're almost done. Continue. Okay.